up, everybody? Welcome to Access. Excited to be with you here tonight. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Jared. So stoked to be here. This is the Access community. We're a community of young people, and we all belong to Resurrection Life Church. Come on, we love this church. So deeply connected to it. We exist to equip and mobilize young adults in identity, evangelism, community, and the scriptures. And we are so excited. We're a group of Jesus people. We love the person of God. We love the presence of God. We love to meet him in times of worship and in the word of God. Oh, he's the best. We've given our whole lives to him. And so come on, I'm excited to preach tonight and be with you all tonight. It's gonna be good. But before I go in, I just gotta say, I feel like I say this pretty frequently, but man, the amount of just love and like pride that just fills my heart to just like be a part of this community is just overwhelming. I like find myself so much, so many times just saying, God, thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for this community. Like I've traveled now all over the world and like this, what is happening and what God is doing in this community is so special. It's just what Jesus is doing. He's inspiring us by his spirit. He's leading us to want more of him. And I'm just, I'm saying it like this community, I've never been a part of a community that just loves Jesus so much, is willing to prioritize him and his word to obey him and to actually want to go deeper with him. It's just so, so good. So I love you guys. It's such an honor to be a part of this. So if you've, if you've been with us um, for any length of time, you know that in Access, we are part of a year long initiative, which is called the His Initiative, right? We belong to God. This is an initiative based on identity. And it's based off Psalms 100 verse three, which says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Before we do anything for God, we must understand this one thing. We belong to God. And that's, that's where our identity begins in belonging to the father. So we believe that as we behold the father, we find belonging in him and we become like him. Behold, belong, become. That's who we are as an access community. And so one of the ways that we can secure ourselves in this identity is actually by proclaiming what God says about us out of our own mouth. Jesus, or God, when he created the world, he spoke and the world came into existence. And in God's words, there are creative power and us being made in his image. God's actually given us creative power in our words. So when we declare God's identity over our life, it sinks into our hearts. And when God's word comes out of our mouth, it carries power to shape our identity. So before we continue and really start off with this message, I wanna invite everybody to stand with me a minute and we're gonna read a declaration of our identity together. All right, so I'm gonna read a line and then you guys can repeat it after me and we'll go through the whole thing kind of like that. So you can repeat after me. I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I am in Christ. I am in Christ. The, old in my life the old things in my life have passed away. I am not my past. I am not my mistakes. I am not my failures or successes. I am a new creation in Christ. Amen. Come on. So, so good. So good. 
And so that declaration is based off of a verse that we hold so de- we're holding so dearly to our hearts. And this is actually, last week I gave our community, I'm going to give it again, a challenge to actually memorize this Bible verse. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And it says, I am a new creation in Christ. The, or, yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become moon. It says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. So it's gonna be so, so good. So, so good. All right, so this month we are starting actually a three-week series today. So today, next week, and then February 22, we're gonna be in a three-week series, which we're calling Real Talk, Discovering God's Design for Sex and Sexuality. So tonight we're gonna largely just uncover, tonight's kind of like a foundational message that we're gonna kind of build upon in the coming weeks, in the next couple weeks. Tonight we're gonna go over the purposes. This is a message and we're just entitling purposes. So tonight we're gonna cover briefly, brief overview. And this is gonna be kind of funny. So like, how, how are you gonna cover this in 15, 20 minutes, Jared? This is crazy. But we're gonna cover the purpose for life. Come on. Uh, the purpose for marriage and the purposes of sex. And so we're gonna cover all three of those, come to a basic understanding just so as a community that we are all on the same page regarding these things. And then next week, Pastor Nick is actually gonna be communicating with us and he's gonna be teaching a message that speaks specifically to our identity. And I believe that next week that, man, walls in our hearts, walls in our minds are gonna topple over at the truth of what is brought next week. It's just going to be so, so amazing. You're not going to want to miss next week. And then on February 22, um, we're going to be going, it's going to be a ministry night. So I'll be preaching again on February 22. And we're specifically going to go after just freedom in, in our lives and in our hearts. I recognize and I'm convinced, man, as we're bringing up this topic, like God's design for sex and sexuality, I can tell some of you guys, like your heartbeat's already going. You're like, uh uh-oh, like where are we going here, right? Or maybe like, And honestly, like you're thinking of some less than ideal circumstances that have been in your life. Maybe as we're preaching, like old memories are going to be stirred. You're going to think about previous boyfriends, previous girlfriends. You're going to think about how this person hurt you or that person hurt you or different things like that. And I just want to communicate like our purpose in doing this, right? We're not here to expose anybody. (laughs) Like that's not why we're teaching this message. We're here because we believe that the devil has had a foothold in this topic of sex and sexuality for way too long. And listen, the devil is a slave master. Whenever you serve him, he doesn't reward you for serving him. He only makes your life worse and keeps you in bondage. And I believe firmly in my heart as I've been praying that I believe that some of us are gonna walk into a level of freedom this month Like the slave master is gonna be exposed and then all of his grip on our life and his grip in our souls and parts of our heart is gonna be broken this this month. And so this is why we're communicating this message. It's not to expose, not to extend condemnation. It's so that we can catch God's design for sex and sexuality and find freedom in that. Come on, can everyone say freedom with me on the count of three? Ready, one, two, three, freedom. That's what we're after this month. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. So Jesus, we love you. God, we honor you. We welcome your spirit into this place. Hmm, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that has changed everything 
every single one of our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We honor your name. And God, I ask, Lord, that as we communicate, as we speak your truth tonight, God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words that come out of my mouth and that you would settle them inside of hearts tonight. For the people in this room, for the people who are listening back, that it would settle into their hearts. And it would not just be information that passes through their head, God, but it would be revelation that transforms their heart and transforms their life in Jesus' name. And that is something that only you can do. So God, in advance, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise and all the adoration for everything you are. We're honored to be your sons and daughters and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, so good. So uh, the, the Bible verse that we've been talking about this entire month, 2 Corinthians 5, 5.17. We can throw that one up there if you have it up there. But it says, I'm gonna read it, turn around. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We, when we said yes to Jesus, what actually happened is God did a uh, spiritual renovation <laughs> inside of our spirits. How many of you guys have ever seen the, the, the show Extreme Home Makeover? Yeah, everybody? Yeah. You're right, the move, that, bus, right? It's just like the, like the, the home is like completely new. Like you're like crazy. This like eight-year-old kid has this like lightning queen bed and like in two years, he's gonna hate it. But he's like, you know, like just jumping up and down. Like, you know, like this five-year-old girl, like princess, pink walls, like spiral staircase, you know, like all this different stuff, right? But like the house it was before and the house that it was after they moved that bus, like, dude, it is, there's no comparison. It was like completely new. Like you couldn't even tell like the house that it was before, right? And that is like a, a good picture. It's, it's, it's an impartial picture, but it's a good picture of what Jesus did on the inside of us. When he came and when he set us free, when we said yes to Jesus, he did an extreme makeover on the inside. The old, old us, like it passed away and behold, all things have become new. This is what we believe, right? But if we become new, then we become new in our identity. And we actually get to discover our new identity with Christ, right? But you might be asking yourself this question, okay, Jared, like if all things have become new, then like, why do I still struggle like with sin patterns? Like, why do I still struggle with the same things that I used to struggle with, with when, before I said yes to Jesus? Or why do I still get bothered and still get like, you know, like, Like, what's, what's the deal? Did, did he not make me new? No, the answer is, is really found in this, this foundational truth in Christianity. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, is you are a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. You are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And we see this truth kind of played out in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here praying for the church in Thessalonica, he says he's praying for them. And what does he pray? He prays that their whole spirit, soul, and body, like he delineates each part of who they are. And he says that they would be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we said yes to Jesus, our spirits, like who we actually are on the inside, like the, the part of us that is going to live forever one day, either in heaven, forever with God, or in hell, completely separated from God. Like that spirit that lives forever, God, it says in Ephesians 2, that it was dead and then Jesus made it completely alive. Or right here, like the, it was old and it passed away and behold, all things have become new, right? But there's two other parts of, that make up who we are as, as spiritual beings and as followers of Christ. And that's our, our soul and our body. And when we got saved, our soul was still patterned after the old way that we used to live our life. Like our soul, which is comprised of our mind, will, and emotions, it didn't get saved in that moment. It didn't get made righteous in that moment like our spirit did. And so our souls get to go through a process which is called sanctification. And basically just means like cleaning up, like your soul. So your mind, the thoughts that you think, your will, the decisions that you make on a daily basis, and your emotions, how you react to the world around you. Those things might not be 100% reflective of Jesus right now. And we are all, as followers of Jesus, in a process of becoming more and more like him in our mind, the thoughts we think, in our will, the decisions that we make, and in our emotions, how we react to the world around us. So we've been made completely right with Jesus, right? But, but sometimes we carry some things from our old way of life into this new relationship that we have with Christ. And sometimes those old things that we carry with us, they actually stand like walls and barriers between us and going deeper with God. And so this month, we're gonna attack some of those walls and barriers in our soul so that we can experience more, about, more, more of Jesus, so we can experience more of Jesus. Is everyone tracking with me here? I'm kind of like teaching, going teacher mode right now. Anybody, everybody, anybody lost? We're good? Okay, let's go. I love it. And then, so then the last part is our body, right? Our body. Sometimes if you'll read like the New Testament, you'll see your body called like the flesh, right? And the flesh is actually, it's, one day it's actually going to be put to death. Like when we die on this earth, our, our spirit and our soul actually leaves our body. Like our body stays in the ground. Like there's gravestones and everything like that, like in cemeteries that we see, like with people's literal bodies in the ground, right? But like we read last week in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God is actually preparing for us a new body in heaven. And that is the new body that we will put on. So the body that we have right now, it's, it's corrupted by sin, right? And it must, but it can be redeemed. And it can be redeemed through submission to the Holy Spirit and through submission to God. And so God made a spirit, soul, and body. And God also wants to bring freedom into our life, spirit, soul, and body. 
And that is really where we're going after today. And so we're gonna be focusing like this month that we're talking about discovering God's purpose for sex and sexuality. We're gonna be focusing on a lot of things that deal on the inside, things that are like spiritual in nature, right? Things that are gonna set us free in our soul. And you might be asking this question like, Jared, why aren't you just giving me the three steps in order to like stop sinning or the five steps to stop watching porn or you know, like the, the signs that I'm in in the toxic, toxic relationship or like, why aren't you going there? And this, it's really based out of this verse in Matthew 7, verse 17. There's a principle of scripture, which is called the tree principle. And Jesus unveils this in Matthew 7, verse 17. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And it's this idea that we've, we've all seen it. I got a little crab apple tree like outside of my, my window. And no matter how many times I wish and pray that it would grow an avocado, because I just love avocados, it doesn't do it because <laughs> it's an apple tree. And the apple tree produces the apple, the kind of fruit that's aside from it. And what Jesus is really unveiling here is what you do is a result of who you are. The things you do in your life, the fruit of your life, the actions that you make in your life is a result, a direct result of who you are on the inside. And as we catch God's purpose and identity and who we are on the inside, as we allow him into these spaces of our soul, our mind, our will and emotions, and as we allow him to redeem these inner areas of our life, what we are going to find is that the actions that we, that we partake in, they start to change on the outside as well, right? Just giving, like, giving this example is like, like a, say somebody is addicted to cigarettes or smoking, right? They could say like, I am a smoker and that's a function of their identity. And my family has smoked my whole life, right? But they've taken those actions that they do and they've made them a part of their identity. And they could stop smoking and then they would say something along the lines of like, hey, you know, like I'm three months sober. I'm six months sober. I'm two and a half years sober. But even that language is still a function. Even though they're not doing the action of smoking, they're still speaking like they are a, for, like a smoker. Like they still are identifying with that area of, of this bad area or like unwanted behavior in their life. But the moment when they change is then they they lose that language altogether. And you ask them, dude, how long has it been since you smoked a cigarette? And they're like, oh, dude, I haven't even thought about that in a long time. Like, what? Like, or somebody offers them a cigarette. They're like, oh, dude, I don't do, dude, that's not me. Like, that's not who I am anymore. Like, I don't, I don't, they lose track of it because they've shifted their lens on who they are, Right. And so we're gonna be ministering this entire month. The reason why I'm saying all of this, again, like just to reiterate, is like this is a foundational message. And I'm speaking, I want, my goal today is just to speak like foundational truths to kind of set us up to go deeper into these next couple weeks. And so we're gonna be focusing on this, these areas, on these inner things of our heart and our life. We're gonna be focusing on areas like soul ties. Like, man, like, why do I feel like I can't get over a previous relationship? Why do I think about them incessantly and all the time? Like we're gonna be talking about like, man, why am I bound in certain 
cycles of repeated sin in my life. Like, why is that? We're gonna be talking about things like, man, people have hurt me so much. And maybe like, why do I keep doing the things that I hate to see in other people? Like, why am I like my dad, even though I had no like respect for my dad? I'm not saying about that, my, my specific dad. I love my dad. He's amazing. <laughs> but like, wh- I, like my, right, why, why are all of these things going? So we're going to be like unwrapping all of those topics. And so, but over this, over in this whole series and over this whole message, my, my desire is that we would have this prayer that was in the lips of David in Psalms 139, verse 23 through 24, where he prays out of the deepness of his heart, saying, God, I'm holding nothing back from you. He prays, search me, oh God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. What a beautiful prayer. To say, God, everything that I have in my life is is on the table. I'm not withholding anything from you. You're the Lord of my life. And if you say something stays, then it stays. If you say something goes, then it goes. If you say, I'm, I need to do this, then I'll do that. It's an obedience. Search me, oh God. Lead me in the way of everlasting life. So, so good. So we've been made new and we have a completely new purpose and a new identity that we get to discover in life. And so these purposes that Jesus has fulfilled for our life, they are way different than the purposes that come naturally to us. It says in in Proverbs 14, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Let me say it one more time. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. What is the, Solomon is writing, the wisest man to ever live. He's saying, there's some things that make sense to us in our culture that are actually destroying our lives. And we need to s- discover a new purpose or a new way to view our life. And that is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. That's found in his word and in his word alone. And we're going to pick up these purposes, right? And so today we're going to cover the biblical purpose for our lives. Why are we here even on this earth? We're going to cover the biblical purpose for marriage. Like why does this institution exist? Why did God create the institution of marriage? And we're going to cover the biblical purpose for sex in the context of marriage. And there's really all of this boils down to is there's one purpose for all of these things. And this purpose really is found within the purpose of life. So we will jump right into the purpose of life. But before we go, I have a little like diagram here. It's called the purpose pyramid, the pyramids of purpose. And so as you can see, if you look up on the screen, we have the purpose of life. And that's very, very foundational. We have the purpose of marriage, which comes up top. And then we have the purpose of sex, which is the third tier of that pyramid. And listen, all of these, like it's, it's very, very important that we have this purpose of life settled in our heart before we move on to this purpose of marriage. And that we have the purpose of marriage actually settled within our heart before we move on to the purpose of sex, right? It's like they go in order and they're meant to be completely foundational. And then if you look just at the top of the purpose of sex, that specific triangle there, you'll notice that it's split into three sections, right? So there's one purpose of life. There's actually, we're gonna cover two purposes of marriage, but then there's three purposes of sex that have to go in order. And we're gonna cover all of these today, all right? How are you guys feeling? Are you ready? 
Okay, ready for this? I feel like I'm putting on my teacher hat today. I kind of wanted to be a teacher, but like with like second graders, so I could like act like a child all day and it'd be actually like good. And also snack time, like, come on, let's go. The best. All right, so the purpose of life, let's go this, let's go there. So Genesis 1.27 is where we're gonna start for the purpose of life. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This, in this verse, the singular verse in the beginning of the book, we see God's original intent for humanity. And that is to bear the image of God. The purpose for each and every one of our lives is to bear God's image. So what does that mean? I'm gonna tell a little bit of a funny story. I think some of us have probably heard this story before, but I'm gonna use it because it's a really good illustration. So I grew up here at Resurrection Life Church and my mom is amazing. I love my mom so much. But uh, all growing up, my mom was known as the licorice lady. That was her name, the licorice lady. So she did like, she's involved with our drama and dance department here at Res Life. And so she would do all of these different dramas. And if you were in any one of her dramas, you got a special prize for being in her drama. And guess what that prize was? Licorice. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, so good. There was actually one time she like bought earrings and like stuck like real, like licorice on her earrings. And so like she came in and she was all decked out in like all this licorice necklace and just like all this different stuff. And I was like, that is my mom and I'm proud to be your son. <laughs> Mostly because I just had an endless supply of licorice at my disposal, but anyway. <laughs> my mom was the licorice lady, right? And so she's going around to all this different stuff. Everybody knows Mrs. B, everybody loves Mrs. B. She's this like bubbly, just like, hi, oh my gosh, God's so good, sparkle shine, like all this different stuff everywhere, right? Just like such a good attitude. And she, honestly, in her life, so much props to my mom. She's like been through a ton in her life and you would just never know like the depths of like everything that God has brought her through, but the joy that she carries in her life is such a testimony to like God's redeeming power. And it's just so awesome. She carries it so, so well. I love my mom so much. But when I was little, I would follow her around to all of these different things. I'd hold these big signs for her, you know, and just like do all these different stuff. And what we started finding is like, not we started finding, but what I started finding is apparently I looked like my mom. And these old ladies would come up to me, you know, like pinch my teeth, say, oh my gosh, Jerry, you look just like your mother. You know, and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Like, thank you as, you know, the fifth littlest kid trying to make a name for himself. Like, yeah, I look like my mom. Great, you know. So I grew a mustache. So, but, um, but then people would say like, okay, I have this physical resemblance to my mom. And I just like, I didn't really believe it. I didn't really see it. Like I looked like my brothers, all this different stuff. And then like one time, or my parents just celebrated a couple years ago, they celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary. Praise God, so cool. And, um, and that my mom had like all these pictures of her as like an 18 year old. And this like when she was really, really young and all this different stuff. This was before I had a mustache or I shaved it off or something like that. And like, so I'm like looking at all of these photos with my mom when she was younger. And then like, I'm washing my hands one time and I'm like, just look up in the mirror at the bathroom. And then all of a sudden it clicks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, those old ladies were right. That's tough. I look like my mom. Like, this is, this is crazy. So I shared this physical resemblance to her, right? But then the crazy thing is that, like, even if 
even if people didn't see me, like th- there's certain mannerisms that I carry and a certain like attitude that I take towards life that is actually imparted from my mom. And so people could see my physical resemblance and they could say, oh my gosh, like you remind me of Kim Blaukamp, right? But they could also see the way I live my life and the way that I treat other people. And they could also say, oh my gosh, you remind me so much of Kim Blaukamp, right? And that's the same way that Jesus means for us to be image bearers of God. That's what it means to bear the image of God. There, like, it means that we, as humans, we actually, in, in a weird way, we actually do look like God. Like there's a part of us as humans, like it's a limited, you know, it's a limited, maybe not exact, like mirror to mirror, but like when Jesus was on the earth, it says in the book of Hebrews that he was the exact imprint of the father. Like he, as a human, he, he bore the image of God. He looked like God and what, what people look at us and when the demons and when devils like look at us, they actually do a double take because they're, oh, what? okay, no, that's just Nicole. Oh, wait, oh, oh, that's just divine. Oh, wait, oh, I thought like they resemble, they remind me of God, right? So we carry this like certain sense of physical resemblance, but then also the way that we live our life and the way that we treat other people around us it would make them stop and say, wait, you remind me of Jesus. Wait, you remind me of God. And that's actually a beautiful thing. That's what we were made for. That is the reason why we exist as human beings is to represent God, to be image bearers of God in every sector of society, not just in church, not just for the pastors, but for the business leaders, for the CPAs, the engineers, for the people who work at grocery stores and just all this different stuff, doesn't matter like what your vocation is. Your purpose in life supersedes your vocation. That's to bear the image of Christ wherever you go. The purpose of life, image bearers of Christ. So we're moving on to the second purpose is the purpose of marriage. And the purpose of marriage is found within the purpose of life. So there's two kind of functions from this purpose of life. So it's to bear God's image through one, oneness despite differences. And number two, self-sacrificial love. God intends for a man and a woman to come together in a marriage and to represent his image in these two ways, oneness despite their differences and self-sacrificial love. God actually means for our marriages to preach a, the loudest sermon that we might ever preach in our entire life. Like the way that we relate to a husband, the way that we relate to a wife, like that should tell the world that there is a God. It should And it can, and it's in these two specific ways, oneness despite your differences. And this is really how it tells that picture or gives that analogy of our relationship with God. In Isaiah 55 verse nine, we see that God is very, very different than us. Though we are made in his image, it says in Isaiah 55 verse nine, it says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Like God is thinking about things that, We don't even like, we probably don't even have the capacity to think about. Like God is on just like a different level than us. Like he is different. He's so much other than us, yet we relate to him. But even despite all of that, those differences between us and God, he desires to be in the closest relationship possible to us, a covenant. 
And we see this play out in John 17, verse 20 through 21. Jesus, when he's on the earth, this is one of the last prayers that Jesus ever prays when he's on the earth. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's saying, I'm not just praying for my 12 disciples that I can see right here in front of me. I'm praying for all of us who would believe in their message and Jesus's message because of their words. So, So Jesus is literally praying for us In here, in John 17, he's praying for us, all of us who are gathered in this room at Access, listening online. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. So God is so much different than us, but yet he desires to be one with us oneness despite your differences. Now, how does this play out within a marriage? Male and female are very, very different. And I'll just leave it there. I feel like it's self-explanatory. Like, I don't, like, just, we think differently. Things matter to us differently. Like, Man, there's been times where I thought I was being the best son in the world and doing all of the things that my mom, my mom would love and like find joy in. And so I did all of these things and she came home and she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all this work you created for me. And I'm like, I don't get you. you know, like, That's okay, right? There's just like, there's differences between men and women. We think differently, we view the world differently. And guess what? God actually meant for that to be that way. We carry, just, we carry differences, right? But yet, even despite the, the drastic differences between male and female, God actually designs for male and female to come and be one through the union of marriage. And that's what it says in Matthew 19, verse five through six. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So God desires through our marriage, through our marriage, we get to tell the world of a, as we pursue oneness with our wife or oneness with our husband, like we actually tell the world how God, even though he is so much different, so much holier, so much more worthy than us, he desires to be one with us in relationship with God. And then the second way that we get to tell the world of the good news of the gospel. We get to tell the world of of Jesus to bear his image to this world is through self-sacrificial love. In Ephesians 5, Paul kind of talks about this self-sacrificial love when he's talking to husbands. He says, husbands, lay your lives down for your wife just as Christ laid his life down for the church and gave himself for her. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands just as the church is submitted unto Jesus, right? And in this way, as husbands, they lay down their life for their wives. And as, as wives, as they submit under the Lord, the, not the Lordship, but the headship and the covering of their husbands, they tell the world of the self-sacrificial love of Jesus, how he left heaven, how he submitted to a world that was very, very restricting and confining for him, but then died a sinner's death. So, and then raised to life after three days so that we could be connected to God again. Jesus laid his life down and we get to preach that message literally through our marriages when we say, when we choose, when we choose self-sacrificial love. 
we tell the world that there is a God. And so then we come to the last thing, and this is the purpose, purposes of sex. So the purposes of sex, and sex, just to be clear, sex it only works in God's design in the context of marriage. That is the most beautiful thing. I heard this helpful analogy is, man, when you, you say you, if you light a fire, right? Say you light a fire, you light a fire in your house and you put that fire inside your fireplace, it actually provides an environment of warmth and safety and like, and heat for your entire house. But if you were to take that log out of that fire and just leave it on the rug in the middle of your house, the same fire and the same log, like it would actually burn your house to the ground. And that's like a helpful analogy for how sex fits into the context of marriage. God actually created sex to be this like power that fuels and forms like this environment of love and safety and security for a household, right? But when we take it outside of that context, when we take it outside of the context of marriage and we have sex with whoever we want or we have sex with our boyfriend and girlfriend, while it may feel good in the moment, it breeds long-term destruction. And for some of us in this room, like, man, like I can attest to that. We can attest to that. It creates a lot of, a lot of confusion if in the, the, the wrong context. But the pre, three purposes of sex that we find in God's word and that I believe that God wants us to center in as a community is one is the purpose of sex is to motivate self-sacrificial oneness. Like the purpose of sex is actually to be a power to actually lay down your life for your wife, if you're a husband. The purpose of sex is actually to provide this, this bonding power to submit to your husband if you're a wife. Like that's, that's why God instated the purpose of sex was that to, to be this motivating power, this, this power to actually be committed and stay committed to one person for your entire life, right? And actually in sex, there's so many chemical, scientific, all these different things that bond yourselves together. And there's, there's these things that are called soul ties, right? And it's actually like your mind, will, and emotion actually gets tied to the other person. But sex isn't just like a physical experience. It's not just a soulish experience. It's actually a spiritual experience as well. And God made that so that two people would have the most like bond. They would become one flesh, like it said in Matthew 19, and that they would continue to lay down their lives for each other for the rest of their life and through their marriage and through the kids that they raise and through you know, their environment of their home, that they would tell the world that there is a God and they would be a representation of God. So that's the one, number one, one of any oneness. Number two is procreation. And that's it, just to have, God said in Genesis 128, fill the earth and subdue it right? Fill the earth with your offspring and subdue it, right? And that's actually so crazy. Like to think about this, like two people coming together actually have the power to bring in a whole other human being into the world that has never existed before. And the crazy thing is if you view that in a spiritual lens, like there's one person, the baby is born, but that baby is going to be able to worship Jesus in a way that nobody has ever worshiped Jesus in the entirety of human history. And also that, that baby is gonna be in heaven if they follow Jesus and surrender their life to Jesus. That like you literally just 
you created an eternal being. That, that is crazy. Like you brought an eternal being into the earth. What, like, that is crazy. And what, like, an opportunity. And like, that's just amazing that God would let us play a part in that. That's just amazing. And then the last one is pleasure. Like God actually created it for pleasure. It's meant to provide love. It's meant to provide this pleasurable experience between a husband and a wife. And so the crazy thing is this is God's design for for sex here. And like we said before, motivating oneness, that has to be our central focus for, and our central purpose for sex. It has to be this foundational one. Then next comes procreation and then next comes pleasure, right? This is the way that God intended for the purposes to be ordered. And when they're ordered, it's almost like, it's almost like I'm standing on my feet when they're ordered, right? It's like, dude, when we're in, when we're in marriage, like we'll experience some pushback. We'll get on each other's nerves. Like we'll, we'll experience hardships in our family and in our life. But when we're pushed around with all this stuff, though we might stumble left and right, like we're still planted on God's word ultimately, but we're still planted and we're, we're, we're not toppling over in our life, right? And this is how God created it. But I think it's interesting that if you turn this, this pyramid upside down, this is the, really the world's perspective of sex. And this is really the way that the world defines sex is that pleasure comes number one. And then, oh my gosh, wait, okay. After I've had this pleasure experience, oops, like now we're preg. Oh no. And then, oh my God. Okay. Now that we're having, I guess we might want to get married. So motivating one, right? And now we have to like figure out and work around from there, right? And the reason why I say this, it's not to cast condemnation. I realize that some of us, like maybe this is our story. <laughs> and some of us, maybe like this is our parents' story or different things like that, right? And I'm not seeking to, to go throw shame, throw condemnation or anything like that on anybody. But I'm, what I'm really trying to expose here is that this is not God's design. And this is not the way to view sex that is going to lead to your fullest life. It might be good in the moment, but it's going to breed long-term destruction. And basically what our world has done is it's almost like we've said, okay, like the, the motivating oneness is right here. And then we have procreation, right? And then up here is pleasure. Like, let's just say it's my hands. And the world has said, you know what? Like, I'm going to flip everything upside down. I'm just going to stand on my hands right? And like all this different stuff. And as we stand on our hands, notice I was standing for about what, two seconds. And like, that's all I can take before I fall. Like if somebody were to come up here and just like tackle me, like there's no way I might be able to like stumble and stay if I was on my feet. But if somebody to push me over, there I go, you know, and guess what? I get hurt and I might fall on someone else and actually hurt other people. And isn't that a little bit of a, the perspective of like, Man, when we flip around the purposes of sex, sex doesn't actually become a thing that actually creates a home, creates a safe environment to people, for people to actually grow and live into a relationship with God. It actually becomes a destructive force that people want to run away from. And that's not, that's not God's purpose for sex. And God actually created sex to be a beautiful thing. And my hope and my prayer for all of us this month is that God would begin to rewrite how we view sex would rewrite how the purposes to which we've ascribed to it and that we would pick up God's design and find healing, wholeness, and freedom in his name. Amen. Could everyone bow your heads and close your eyes?
as we're talking about uh, the purposes of life, we're talking about the purposes of marriage, talking about the purposes of sex, we've covered that our, our whole life, everything that we're involved in is meant to bear God's image, right? And Jesus came to this earth to correctly reflect the father. He was the ultimate image bearer. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He taught us the way about God, but then he died a death on the cross. And why? It was actually to cover our sins. It was actually to take away the sting of our sin, which was death, eternal separation from God in hell. And guess what? He didn't just do that to flex his God card. He actually did that to make a way for us into relationship with a living God. And some of us in this room, maybe we have never ever responded to Jesus's gift of love, his sacrifice on the cross. Maybe we have never actually given Jesus the fullness of who we are. And if that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to confess with your mouth that he's the Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you can be saved from your sin, saved from the punishment that you deserve in order to find freedom and fullness in Christ. So if that's you, would you raise your hand on the count of three, ready, one, Two, three, you wanna give your life to Jesus. Anybody in this room, raise your hand. You're saying, man, I'm done with my old life. I wanna give my life to Jesus. Amazing, all right, everybody pray with me a minute. Everyone just say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. Lord, I believe that you died and rose again and are coming again. And today I make you the Lord, the King and the master of my life. I'm done with my old life. I don't want it anymore. I choose this new life with Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me up and help me to walk like Jesus. In Jesus name. Amen, 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 amen. So amazing. Yes, give it up for those people who responded. Amazing, we love that, we love that, we love that. Come on, we love you guys so much. Thanks so much for uh, bearing with us. We actually, so the, the second part of our His initiative that we're gonna kind of go through is actually the verse that we're trying to memorize throughout the course of February. And so that verse is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You heard it come out of my mouth a few times during the uh, message. But if everyone wants to stand here a minute and then repeat this after me as I read it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All right, I'm gonna read a line and then you read a line. All right, here we go. If any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen, amen, amen. So good. We love you guys so much. Thank you.